All right, before we are in the text um, this morning, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we do have not just the time and, and the space to come aside, but Lord Jesus, thank you that you do draw us together and make us your family wherever in the world we find ourselves, that we can find ourselves among family. Lord Jesus, as we look into the scriptures this morning, would you, would you reflect back to us about ourselves and our family and our friends, those around us, and your mission into, into our life and into their life? And just as we are people who have experienced your transformation and your love and your call to holiness, would that be something that moves through us and into the lives of other people? But Lord, would you reveal yourself? Would you reveal yourself to us this morning? Amen. Please open your Bible. Thank you, stewards, for um, for collecting those cups. And this morning we're going to be in three passages of Scripture. So if you're one of these people that sort of puts their finger and, and holds them or bookmarks, we're going to be in uh, John's Gospel, of course, uh, in chapter 18. And we're going to be in Matthew 27 and Luke 23. John 18, Matthew 27, and Luke 23. And most of our context this morning, and really we're, we're looking at something just very simple and hopefully very practical. Um, for those of you that were paying attention during the kids' talk, have already heard the bulk of where we're going this morning. Who here was here for the kids' talk? Fantastic. Awesome. It's really simple. We're talking, again, before we come to talking in detail about the crucifixion of Jesus, which is where we're going to be next week, looking in detail at that. So if, if there's someone in your life that has never heard the gospel, I tell you what, it's going to be loud and clear, probably very heavy next week. Um, but we're just going to pause again and have a look at these people that we meet who are present just before that moment happens. And the, the main people that I want us to have a look at this morning is that we have the religious leaders and the crowd who are present, the people that get stirred up by the religious leaders, because they, as they encounter Jesus, have had a very particular response. The next person is King Herod Antipas. Again, someone who already has a background, who already has some history, who already has made some decisions about, about the way that they are going to deal with Jesus. And then when Jesus turns up, the way that he himself responds. Then we have this lady, again, artist impression. Jesus does not look particularly olive-skinned in this artist impression. But here we have Pontius Pilate's wife and Matthew. Um, gives us this record of her having this significant spiritual experience that she doesn't tell everyone the detail of, but it so affects her that she has to do something about it. She has to tell someone. And then we have Pontius Pilate himself, this guy who is used to being in control and being in charge, and then he finds himself powerless to stop something, but but he gets swept up and carried along because, because Jesus has come into his life. And then we have this person over here, Barabbas. 
someone who deserved to be killed, someone who had who had earned it and was well aware that they deserved death, was well aware of, of their own state. And then this innocent man, his innocence gets handed over to Barabbas and Barabbas's punishment gets handed over to this innocent man. So let's read the scriptures that we have this morning and then we're going to uh, come back and talk about those people who were present. So let's start in John's Gospel, chapter 19. John does not mention Jesus going to Herod and being brought back. John does not mention Herod washing his hands. John does not mention um, Herod's wife in this story. So the main thing that John presents us with is the interplay between Jesus the religious leaders, and Pilate, and the way that Pilate gets used. So let's read out of John's, John's Gospel, chapter 19. And we're going to basically read from verse 1 down to verse 16. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, uh, which we believe is this one that he had from Herod, and went up to him again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And we talked about Pilate and his character and, and his military strategy last week. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus Gave him no answer. Remember, chronologically, this is after Jesus has already been to see Herod. This is after Pilate has already heard that Jesus is from Galilee and has sent him to Galilee and then he comes back. Pilate asks this question, where do you come from? Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus is talking about this group of people. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. We call that blackmail. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Incidentally, this is the moment we're going to read about shortly where the message from Pilate's wife comes. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? 
Pilate asks. He is fishing for a way through this. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Go back with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 1. The whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they begin to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And remember, we, we mentioned last week that when this kind of phrase was used, it was equivalent to saying the truth is coming from you now as well. It was not the way that Aussies sometimes use it. We go, oh, well, you said that. I didn't. It's not like that. Verse 4, then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Verse 5, they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. This is before Jesus gets whipped and scourged. Sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. Herod is a fanboy. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. Maybe this dog will do a trick for me. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, fascinating observation from Luke, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. What an odd observation to put in the text. Verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests and rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. If Herod wanted to kill him, he could have. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, in light of this, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And though Luke does not mention it, we certainly know that in there, there was a whipping and a scourging which took place. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to read from uh, verse 11, Matthew 27 from verse 11. Meanwhile, 
Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, So this is a heated environment, and Pilate, who is used to reading large-scale groups of people, can see that this is not looking good. An uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And have a listen to how these people here respond. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That's the way Matthew plays out the detail. His blood is on us and on our children. I want to make one general observation, then we'll make some more specific observations. Observation number one is Jesus is not here because He has no control over the situation. Let's remember that. Everything that we have just seen happen, remember, Jesus can exit any time that he actually chooses to exit. This happens because Jesus allows this to happen to himself. He is the one holding all the cards. This is the one that the scriptures tell us through whom and by whom and for whom all the material universe came into existence. This is the one whose voice the wind and the waves recognize. This is the one who put the stars in their place. This is the one who assigned how many hours it takes for the planet to to rotate and how many days it takes for it to travel around the sun. This is Jesus. And let's talk then about the fact that this is essentially happening on his terms. Anyone who comes into contact with Jesus comes into contact with Jesus and Jesus knew that contact was about to happen. Anyone who confronts him is confronted with his majesty. Pilate is surprised that Jesus is not answering these charges that have been brought against him. These accusations brought by people who are actually his own people. We come to Jesus on his terms. It's exactly the same today. And anyone who is going to actually deal with Jesus 
in a way which is authentic and in a way which is real has to come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. There is, there is a way that the gospel sometimes gets misrepresented, which, which sounds something like this. Come to Jesus and he loves you and he accepts you completely as you are and he will never challenge anything about you. He will come to you on your terms and give you stuff that you want and make you comfortable. It may not get put forward in those words, but sometimes that's what gets communicated. The reality that we find in Scripture is when we come to Jesus, we might come and we go, Lord, I've got, I've got all this baggage, I've got all these things that are wrong with me, and he says, I love you and I will save you, and then I'm going to move in, and then I'm going to heal you. I'm going to change your values. I'm going to challenge the desires of your heart. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to release you. I'm going to make you more into that person that I saw in my own heart before the creation of the world. That's reality. Transformation is the evidence that someone has actually encountered Jesus. If someone says, you know what, I've got Jesus, and there is nothing about that person's life which which is transformed, if there is nothing about that person's life where they actually have started to despise the sin which they've been caught up in and which has come out of their own heart, if that's not going on, then there is a royal problem. We come to Jesus on his terms. General observation. More specifically, let's talk about some of these groups because I have a sneaking suspicion that the human beings you and I interact with are like these human beings that Jesus interacted with. And if you and I want Jesus to to connect in our life and through our life with the people around us, maybe we can make some observations about these other people who were present right here that will help us in Kerrang in 2018 to reach the people here. So let's have a look at the first group of people. These guys thought they knew everything. That's so unlike Aussies, isn't it? You know, I mean, Aussies walk around all the time just so humble. It just sort of flows, you know, you know, oh, oh, I, I really need your help. You know, it's, it's not the case. Most Aussies, come on, we're know-it-alls. We are. As a people group, we, we do not show a whole lot of humility. And these people thought that they had enough information, they'd already made their decision, but the way they interacted with Jesus was fundamentally, they'd already decided he was wrong because Jesus was a threat to their control. And these are some of the people that we interact with. Maybe sometimes this is us. Maybe this was where we were and the Lord has moved us a bit. Maybe there's some stuff he wants to work on this morning. That Jesus is a threat to me getting what I want and being where I want to be and doing what I want to do. And you know what? If I actually approach Jesus in the way that I really know that I should, I'm going to have to release some of that control. We're human beings. We love being in control. Control is the original sin. That was the temptation that the enemy brought in the garden. You don't have to be underneath God. You can be like God. You can be a God yourself. Control. I meet some of these people. Maybe you don't meet some of these people. I meet some of these people. And when I talk to them, they already have their answers sketched out. And no amount of arguing is going to convince them of anything. But in this situation, what we see happen is that their decision is made very clear to them. 
They know who Jesus claims to be. And here, ironically, Pilate becomes the one who puts this decision to them. What should I do with your king? I don't want his blood on me. And they go, we will take the blame for that. We understand what's going on and the punishment for this will be on us. And sometimes this is the way our conversation plays out with people where we go, look, if God is good, why would you not choose God? If God is real and God is loving, why wouldn't you want to know a loving God? Why wouldn't you even want to ask some questions and investigate that? Some people say, I've made my mind up. I will deal with it when it happens. And even if, even if no matter what we do, that person is never going to budge, at least, at least we can continue doing two things. We can continue loving that person, leave the light on, keep the door open to go, you know what? Even when I was not interested in God, he didn't give up on me. So as his representative, I'm not going to give up on you. If you are not interested in God, I'm still going to tell you that God loves you and he's interested and he will save you and redeem you and forgive you and transform you. God is interested. And you know what? I'll feed you. I'll give you a bed to sleep in if you need one. We can still do that. The other thing we can do is to still present someone with their choice to go, and, and this is great. It, it gets fun sometimes. We go, you know, are, are you interested in what happens after you die yet? Or do you need to be closer to dying before you're going to ask that question? Depending on how well you get along with your relatives, you might be able to ask them questions like that. Depending on the relationship and the friendships you have with people you work with, with your mates, with your friends down the street, you might be able to go, look, you know what? You, you guys know that I'm religious. I just want to give you the best news in the world. If you're not interested, that's fine, but, but I have the best news in the world that God actually loves you and is interested in you, as bad as you smell. Sometimes it actually gets fun to, to throw it back at people and to go, you know what, I don't have to shut up about presenting you with this decision that you've made. This is not just a life and death decision. This is bigger than a life and death decision. Group number one. Group number two. Maybe Jesus will do something for me. There was a guy I knew some years ago. I think I've shared this story before. His name was Paul, and Paul was radically unchristian. You've got people who, who we have in our mind that we go, wow, that person is so Christian. Paul was the opposite of that person. Um, I chased Paul with a fire extinguisher one day because I had to. I won't give you the detail, but it needed to happen. Um, and Paul, when I was able to have a good faith-oriented conversation with him, I said, look, what is it that, that God would have to do? What would have to happen in order for it to break into your world that this is true and that God is there? And he basically answered this kind of answer. It was to do with money. Oh, God would have to give me X amount of money, and then I would be interested. King Herod style. And we meet people like this. I encourage you as we're going through these, if there's someone that comes to mind don't be afraid to write their name down because you can go, go away and pray for that person. That there are some folk where what they are interested in, that there's something that's there. Maybe they've, they've heard that someone got healed. Maybe they've heard that there was this weird Christian meeting and weird Christian things went on. Maybe they're interested in the spectacle. Maybe they're interested or fascinated because it's a novelty for them. We are going to interact with those sorts of people. And guess what? How does Jesus respond? 
Jesus is not a lap dog. Jesus will not sit or stay or fetch for you. And sometimes this is this is a really difficult conversation to have with people where they go, oh, you know, well, it's, it, it, get, get, get God to, you know, fill my glass up with something over there, you know, oh, get God to do this. Oh, yeah, why, why doesn't he just peel the sky open and show me? So to go, actually, the issue that's at work here is your pride. The issue that's at work here is that you expect God to turn up and to stand like King Herod before your judgment seat and do a trick for you. And if he does enough tricks for you and impresses you, then you will add him to your collection of stuff. That's not the way it works. And just like with King Herod, we're allowed to push back at people about their expectations and go, are you serious that if Jesus is who he claims to be, this is how you're going to approach him? Take the scriptures and read it for yourself and see whether you think this is what Jesus is like. We are allowed to push back into people's expectations. And there are people in my own family, there are people amongst my own circle of friends where these are the conversations which play out. Next person we find in the room, Pontius Pilate's wife. I'm reading a book at the moment that Max, where did Max, there you are, which Max Lomi, there's a guy, hopefully we're going to get him to come up and, and visit with us in Kerrang, talking about his experience and sharing his testimony, reading this book about a guy's testimony. It reminded me, again, of these experiences which happen. There are people in this town who have had profoundly disturbing spiritual experiences and they have no idea what to do with them. And maybe those people have shared that with you. Maybe there's been inklings of it. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe it's you. Here we have someone who had a profound experience that disturbed them and she didn't really know what to do with it. She wanted to do something. She didn't have all the right information, but all of a sudden her attitude towards Jesus had changed. And often that happens with people who have been involved in uh, Wicca, witchcraft, occult, palm reading, um, horoscopes, people who have been listening to spirit guides, people who have been wanting to communicate with the dead, all that kind of stuff that Scripture basically says uh, don't mess with. When people mess with that, usually what happens is something goes wrong and either they go looking for Jesus because they know Jesus is light and what they have is darkness or something happens and someone's on hand and they use the name of Jesus and the darkness has to step back and they don't understand what's going on. If there is someone in your life who is in that position, first of all, Tell them to bring the name of Jesus when they pray because the name of Jesus is powerful. All authority is vested with him. That's the first thing. Actually give them a tool to use. But the second thing is if there's someone who, who you know, who has been into or is into, you know, if their car is the one that's full of tea leaves and dream catchers and, and crystals and, and all that kind of stuff, don't be afraid to actually give that person information. They're already hungry. They're already looking. So don't be afraid to actually give them a Bible as a gift or to go, you know what, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with, but I don't know if you're interested. 
Can I sit with you? I was reading this the other day. You know, can, can I share this with you? What do you think about this? And to engage with that person because they're already hungry. And again, maybe they'll push back. Maybe they don't want Jesus. But this is an opportunity for us to step forward and to actually interact with that person. Some of you have a whole bunch of this kind of person in your life. I have no idea how it works, but some people are kind of fringe magnets <laughs> where the people who are on the edge of, of engaging with, with Christ but they're involved in a whole lot of other spiritual things, they seem to congregate uh, together. Sometimes they seem to have similar personality traits as well. I don't know how it works, but it does. Pontius Pilate. Sometimes, this, I find this more with men uh, in my own interactions than with women, is that there are, there are people who are used to being very in control, to having things very much the way they like, and they're pretty sure that they are going to be able to continue living their life with the level of comfort and control which they have. And then something happens that they get swept into and they don't understand and they have no way to actually grasp what's going on. And often those, those conversations will happen in a hospital. Sometimes those conversations happen at a funeral or a wake. Sometimes they happen when someone is injured. Sometimes they happen uh, when someone walks out of a marriage, usually around crisis where someone realizes that they are not in control but there's something else that's going on, not just physical. And they want to do something that's good, but they don't want to disconnect from the crowd that they've been traveling with for a long time. It's really difficult sometimes because there are people that we know, people from our sporting clubs, people in our families, people from the social groups that we gather with, where that person might actually be interested to connect with who God is, but the pressure from the people around them to continue drinking, the, the pressure from the people around them to continue going out to those things, whatever they are, the, the pressure to continue, depending on, on your background, the pressure to continue doing particular business things, to be part of even other social groups, to cut those things off and then to go, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus. Peer pressure is massive. We talk about it for teenagers. It's huge for grown-ups. It really is. Matthew says, and the crowd prevailed. So my question is, if, if this type of person is the person that we come up against, where we look at our friend or we look at our coworker or we look at someone that, that we know and we go, this person so could actually move some distance towards the, the truth and the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus is. What are some things that we can do to connect with that person? Maybe we need to catch up with them one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe we need to give them a gift. Maybe we need to, to sit down and write them a note. What are some things that we can do? Because these are ordinary human beings that we interact with all the time. And then we have Barabbas, witness number five. I, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege and the awkward pleasure of sitting with someone who, who gets their own brokenness 
I really wish, I wish it happened more. It's not something we can ever force. But where someone is completely aware of their imperfection, where that person goes, you know what? Why would God ever want me? There is nothing good about me. I know the punishment I deserve. How can you say to me that this innocent person would take all of God's punishment that I know I deserve? These conversations happen as well. We, Ironically, we, we don't need to push too hard sometimes to find people around us. And the phrase that we've grown to use is that have low self-esteem. Sometimes they have high self-awareness where they go, you know what, I've made terrible decisions. I have shipwrecked my life. I've destroyed my family or I've destroyed my business or my whole world has fallen apart. I sat with someone earlier on this week who has been chewing over a poor decision that they made for 40, 50 years. It's been affecting their marriage for 40 or for 50 years, this thing, and they finally sat down and they just opened their heart and they went, how much should this be affecting me? And the light of who God is gets to be poured in at that point. Those people are in your life. Those people are in your family. If we're aware that that the human beings we see in Scripture are just the same as the human beings that we have access to, then maybe these examples can help us to interact with other people. I don't know whether you've written some names down on the back of your eyelids. But these people that we are talking about, these friends and family members that we have, are in your life right now. And you are God's representative to those people. And if you don't open your mouth and actually share with them, then they may never hear. These people were present when Jesus was there. And they had the disciples and the followers of Jesus who were right there on that day. The people who are here today have us. We are the witnesses. We are those who are present in Kerrang in 2018. And it's okay for us to be a bit tactical about this, to go, you know what, Lord, how does your good news get past our pride and our desire for control? How does it get past the awkwardness sometimes? How, how do we find the right words to talk to someone who's big into spiritualism? Lord, what is the simplest way that I can talk about you to someone who is aware that they've shipwrecked their life? And you know what? Pick one. Just pick one person in your life that the Lord has put their finger on in your heart and go, you know what? I just want to share it with that person. For them to do with as they will, but I want to share him with that person. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we have these examples. And Lord, we thank you that you do reach us. You reach all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds and that you're at work in our heart. When you belong to us and we belong to you, you're at work in our heart transforming us, challenging us about our values and our lifestyle, our decisions, the way we use our time, the way we travel. Lord God, would it not stop with us? Would we not be a cul-de-sac but a thoroughfare? 
would the love that you have poured into us pour out through us and into the lives of other people? We want to tell people how glorious and majestic you are. We want them to see you as you are. So would you please, in that moment that is going to come, would you give us your words, just simple words, straightforward, non-sales pitch, authentically us words to actually open our heart and to talk about the reality of you. Lord God, we trust you. Lord Jesus, please be with us this week. When those moments happen, would we know that you have set them up, you have created those opportunities. And Lord, we give you our time. We give you our intent about this week. We give you our planning for this coming year. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would use it for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.